0: Let's pray. Would you join me right now? Let's pray, Lord. What a day. And I, again, just want to pray just special blessing over all the moms, and grandmoms, and the moms who want to be moms. And we do bless them today. And God, as we Dive into your word here, Lord. I just pray, Lord, that this would be just a a, a special moment for us to hear from you, to receive from you. God, we're here today not to fulfill a spiritual duty or obligation. We're here to meet with you. We're not here just to check it off a box. I went to church this month. But we're here to meet with you. So, God, I pray that by your spirit who is alive and at work in this room and in so many of us, Lord, I pray that you would speak powerfully and clearly through your word, Lord. Let your word penetrate our hearts. Lord, I pray that you'd use every word that comes out of my mouth, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, you can have a seat. And uh, I wanna say welcome to the Crush family that is here. Come on. Andrew, our youth director, got married two Saturdays ago. So eight days into married life. So welcome, guys. Congratulations. God bless you guys as well. And super excited for you. Good to see you guys here. And uh, again, just happy Mother's Day, all of you moms. It's fun for me today because my mom is here today. So she flew down this week. And she's hanging out with us for a few days. So my mom is here on Mother's Day And I don't know, I wouldn't be here, I wouldn't be who I am without my mom. There's so much truth to that. I love you, mom. So we're in this series called uh, A Jesus Movement. And here's our prayer, here's our cry. We want to see God move in our lives. We want to see God move new and afresh in our families, in our church, and in our city. That's what we want. God, would you move? Would you move in a mighty way? Would you pour out your spirit? It is only you can do. That's what we want to see. And I was reading about a revival that started 74 years ago in the Hebrides Islands. Have you heard about the Hebrides Revival? It's always fascinating to read and study different revivals. That have taken place throughout history. 1949, the Spirit of God began to move on the Hebrides Islands. That's in the northwest corner of Scotland. Beautiful, picturesque islands out there. Just a whole bunch of islands in that northwest corner. The Spirit of God began to, to fall, and it said that um, there were some prayers that were going on. They kept gathering and were praying. There's this uh, really a momentum and a movement of prayer. They just were crying out to God. God, we want Your Spirit to move. In our, in our area, in our region, in our towns. And one guy in the middle of a, they had this evening service and he just was crying out to God. God, you promise. Uh, he was declaring some scripture. God, you promise this, you promise this. God, would you move in our time, in our day? And wouldn't you know at that same time, at that very moment, he's praying. There's this dance going on at the town hall for all the young people in town. So there's a bunch of teenagers, over a hundred teenagers and young people at the town hall just dancing the night away. It's 49, so this is probably like what? Uh, a sock hop or something like that. I don't know. And as that guy's praying, the music stopped. The spirit of God fell on this town hall. And it said that all the young people ran out of the town hall. And it was described as if they were running from a plague. And they just ran out of the doors and they ran down the street and they ran to the church and they filled the church and they gave their life to Jesus. And they all began to pray and seek God. And things like this kept happening and happening. They, they could sense the spirit of God moving all over these towns and these villages. It said that entire towns would get saved. They would sense the spirit of God moving. They would be convicted of their sin and they would just surrender their life to Jesus. Entire towns. This would happen. This one family all at once, they gave their life to Jesus. The spirit of God was moving in them on their home and they were all together except for one. They had one daughter who was way down south in London, England. At that very moment the whole family put their trust in Jesus. She sensed the spirit of God moving in her life in London. And she snuck off to a quiet corner and she gave her life to Jesus in that exact same moment. It's said that the ships floating by or going by on the sea, they would sense the presence of God from these towns. They would see crazy things happen and um, and it's just so many stories, so many just story after story after story of God just moving from 1949 all the way for the next about four years, 1952. Just hundreds, thousands of people repenting, giving their life to Jesus. at one, there was one story of. Uh, 300 people gathered at the police station, and they're on their knees, just repenting of all the things they had done wrong, repenting of sin, and giving their life to Jesus. And there's mo- there's a mom crying. This mom was like, "You've come home. You've come home." As as her child, that I mean, can't remember if it was a son or a daughter, was giving their life to Jesus. Just really cool things. Just the spirit of God moving. And it all started because two women decided to pray. If you ever study and read about the Hebrides revival, you will undoubtedly hear about Peggy and Christine Smith. Two ladies in their 80s. One was blind. The other was crippled with arthritis. They couldn't even go to church. They were stuck at home. But they knew that there was no young people in their church, and they had a vision to see the churches filled with young people. And so they began to pray. They they would get together, they would pray, and they would pray several times a week till the wee hours of the morning, till 2, 3 a.m., they would pray, and they would cry out, and their conviction was, as they looked around, they said, we are losing a generation. Wow. These are some retired ladies who definitely aren't bored with their life. They're like, God, we're going to call upon you to move in a mighty way. We, they, they said, if we don't pray for a move of God, this young generation is going to completely disappear. So they started to pray. Pagan and Christine, you can see the picture of them there. And once the Spirit of God began to move, they invited this guy in the middle to come down. He was from Scotland somewhere and came, just began to preach. And this, just, it, this revival spread throughout the Hebrides Islands, except for one particular town. It's like the biggest town in the area. And the pastors in that town wanted nothing to do with those crazy people. They said, don't go to those meetings. Don't, don't stay away from those people. And they missed out on a revival. that hit all around them. Crazy fun, you know, awesome stories. We could go on and on and on. But here's here's what Peggy and Christine. It all centered because it all started because they started to pray, and they started to pray for a younger generation. And this is what they prayed. One of their main prayers centered around Isaiah 44, verse three. It says, "For I will pour out water to quench your thirst and to irrigate your parched fields, and I will pour out my spirit on your descendants." And my blessing on your children. They claimed that as a promise from God. And they said, God, your word says this. Would you do it here? Would you do it here? Wouldn't you know? God did it there. And young people were flocking. Entire towns were getting saved. Entire families coming to Jesus. You want to see a movement like that in your life? Do you want to see that in your family? I want to talk about having a Jesus movement in the home today. It's Mother's Day, so let's talk about family and having a movement of Jesus in our home. What would that look like? You know, one of the questions that we've thrown out several times in this series is, what if we normalized a passionate pursuit of Jesus? What if that was just normal, to passionately pursue Jesus with our lives? Now, passion, by the way, doesn't have to be emotional, it's not someone who's jumping up and down, screaming and hooting, and hollering when, when the music's going on. That's that that can be a form of passion, but passion really is just dedication and commitment. You just you just you're committed. You just uh, I, I'm I'm going after the Lord every day, in spite of feelings. That's true passion. What if we normalize that, the passion of pursuit of the Lord? You know, when you study revivals, you study great moves of God. We've talked about several of them in this series. There's one common denominator. There's one key to revival. Do you remember what that was? The key to revival is this word, hunger. Because God has moved in mighty ways through every tongue, tribe, nation, and race, every people group. So it doesn't matter what people group you are, God can move and wants to move. He's done it through... Every denomination you could list, God has moved in a mighty way by his spirit. The common denominator is hunger. And I would say continual hunger. It's not just hunger for a day or for a week, but just this consistent longing. God, I want you and I want more of you in my life. And God, I want to see you move in power in my family. I want to see you move in power in my church and in my generation. It's a continual hunger. That's the key. That's the key. Because here's the principle God shows up where He's wanted. And so we just want to be a people in a place that says, God, we want you here. We want you here, God. That's why we started a 9 a.m. prayer service that was off the charts today. God was just doing incredible things. We just want to be a people in a place that says, God, we want you. We really do. Mm. God shows up where he's wanted. And so today, as we talk about a Jesus movement in the home, I just want to encourage us as parents to make sure that we are training and discipling our kids and that we're making Jesus front and center in our family. Like, how do you celebrate the goodness of God in your family? Do you tell the stories? Of God and your family and what he's done? How much is God a part of your family life? Is he really the center of your family life? I don't know if you've heard the statistics, but recent statistics in the last decade or so say that we are losing 60 to 70 percent of our young people once they graduate from high school. They're walking away from the church, they're walking away from the faith. Most of them from the faith. Some of them just from the church because they're like, forget church. I can still believe in Jesus. But they had a bad church experience or whatever. But a lot, you know, most, most of that young generation, once they graduate and they go off to college, go off into adulthood, they are walking away. 60 to 70%. They get to this place where maybe they're not firm in their foundation with Jesus and they start hearing some other teaching, some other things, and they, they're made to feel like an idiot for believing in God. That's what only grandmas and grandpas do it's old fashioned and they're just they're not solid enough in their faith maybe they had a bad church experience or maybe they had a dead church experience and they're like god doesn't make any difference in my family's life or maybe they just began listening to the lies of the enemy for whatever reason young people are walking away by the tens of thousands hundreds of thousands away from their faith and the church and what are we going to do about it and my encouragement to us is that you and I would stand up like Peggy and Christine. Is that their names? Peggy and Christine. Yep, Peggy and Christine. Come on, we're looking for some Peggy's and Christine's to rise up and say, not on our watch. Not in our generation. I'm going to begin to pray and I'm going to be intercede, not just for my kids and the kids in my family, but for this whole generation of young people that is walking away. Well, what we need is we need not just parents who are going to disciple kids. We need spiritual, godly parents who are going to disciple their kids and even look around at other younger generation people and say, I'll take you under my wings and I'll show you how to follow Jesus. Because we don't just need parents. We need spiritual parents. I love how Paul considered himself that. He wrote this to the the Corinthian church. He said, for even if you had 10,000 other teachers... To others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. And so we know Paul did way more than that. Like He discipled them. He stayed with them. He walked with them through things. He trained them. He equipped them. Didn't just preach to them. He recognized his role. He became a spiritual father to them. And that's what we need. We need some spiritual fathers and some spiritual mothers to rise up And say, I want to show some people how to live, how to follow Jesus. Hey, you don't have to be perfect, because none of us ever will be perfect, but you and I can, in the grace of God, just say, Hey, come and follow me as I follow Christ. I love that Paul even says that in the next verse. He says, So I urge you to imitate me. I urge you, imitate me. Could you look at some people and just say that? I'm not perfect, but just follow me, imitate me as I go after Jesus. Well, we need some spiritual fathers and some spiritual mothers to stand up, begin to pray, begin to intercede, begin to take some, really raise up some young people and say, let's go after Jesus together. Because we're living at a moment of great decline in Christianity. Great decline. The churches aren't even close to keeping up with the population growth. Christianity is on the decline in our country, in, in Western culture. But this is also a moment of opportunity This is also one where you and I can stand up and say, okay, God, we're ready. Use us. We're willing. What do you want me to do? God, choose me. I'm available. I want to be one of those ones that you can use to see another move of God. I watched the Jesus Revolution movie again yesterday because it's so good. And I was just reminded of how it really started, the epicenter of the Jesus movement from the late 60s, early 70s, started in the Haight-Ashbury district in San Francisco. Isn't it amazing where the epicenter of sin abounding, grace abounded more? And the Spirit of God began to move in this place that was known for sin. The Spirit of God and grace began to move. And what all these people were looking for, they found in Jesus. And that's where the Jesus movement really began in the late 60s was in this place that was so dark and so hurting and so broken. We're in this place now, this this season, really a time in history where we're on the decline, that Christianity is on the decline. We're losing young people. But I think this is a moment of opportunity. Hey, secularization is on the rise. It's been growing for decades. The last 10 years or so, it feels like it's really expediated. And you know what the goal of secularization is? The goal is that you and I would just keep our beliefs to ourselves. That's the goal. Don't bring your beliefs, don't bring your faith into the public space, don't bring it into the workplace, don't don't bring it into into schools, you know, just keep it to yourself. That's the goal of secularization. And unfortunately, that has affected us in a lot of ways. Because a lot of us, we don't realize it or not, but we can be discipled by the culture. And we're allowing media and different things to disciple us on how to think, and how to act, and how to approach things. And because of that, some of us feel like, I don't even know how to bring Jesus into my home, because it's really just a personal, private relationship that I have. I don't know how to talk about him. And I don't know how to bring Jesus into my home. And I just want to encourage us to just push through the awkwardness. Maybe you you weren't modeled how to do it. I get that. And just grab a Bible, open it up, and say, all right, let's read this and talk about it. I don't even understand everything, but let's talk about it. Let's let God speak to us. Like, just something simple like that. I love that Victoria, our kids director, she's got handouts for parents. So, parents, we can just use the handouts. Those are great. Like, uh, this week you talked about the, you know, they give you questions to to ask about the stories. And this is super simple and it's great. Uh, Find tools like that. Use the YouVersion app, okay? Do some things like that. And just, just begin to talk about the Lord, push through the awkwardness. We need faith. We need Jesus to be front and center in our homes. I wanna see a revival. I wanna see a Jesus movement take place in your home. Do you long for that? Mm. So I think this is a moment of opportunity for us in our country, in our day, and in our family. And if we're not careful, we could lose a generation. You know what's interesting is right after the Israelites settled in the promised land, the next generation was completely lost to God. Did you know that? Like this is crazy. Judges chapter two. If you want to go to Judges chapter two. Now think about this. The nation of Israel was, they were slaves to Egypt for generations. And so God delivered them, brought them out of Egypt, brought them out of slavery Maybe you've heard those stories. Maybe you've watched the movie, Prince of Egypt. They go through the the Red Sea on dry land. God delivers them They're out in the the wilderness. And God gives them the Ten Commandments. And then he sends 12 spies to the promised land because he wants them to see the land that he's going to give them. And they come back and 10 of them are like, there's no way we can do this. Two of them say, surely we can. 10 of them say, no way. And those 10 people influence a million people from missing out on God's promises for them. Ten, they listened to 10 people. An entire generation missed out. Well, Joshua and Caleb, they were the two that said, we can do this. They got to go into the promised land. The, other, the rest of the generation missed out. So Joshua led them, and they got the promised land that God was giving them, and as they're settling in, this is where we're at, Judges 2. It says, Judges, Judges 2, after Joshua sent the people away, each of the tribes left to take possession of the land allotted to them. And the Israelites served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and the leaders who outlived him, those who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. They buried him in the land he had been allocated at Timnath-Sirah in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. And get this, verse 10. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done for Israel. In one generation, they forgot God. So what was the progression here? What happened here is first, you've got Joshua's generation. They served. They honored God. They arrived in the promised land. They get to take the promised land, they settle in the promised land, and then this new generation grows up underneath them as they're living in the promised land, and they don't know anything about God, apparently. And then what happens is step three, what you see in the coming verses is they start worshiping other gods, and then it becomes disastrous for them. In one generation, they go from serving and honoring God to going and worshiping other gods, building all these Asherah poles and worshiping all the other gods from all the other people around them. One generation. I think it's imperative that we help the next generation to know God. That's what I want to encourage us to do. Let's be a people. Let's be a church. Let's be families to help the next generation know who God is. And so how do we do that? I'm going to take the next few moments to talk about how we can help the next generation know God. Let me just say this first. We want to be a church that has generations. That's our longing. I just love having a generational church. I grew up in a generational church where I got to see my grandparents. And I just love it when grandparents are going to church with their kids and their grandkids. And I love it when that's happened even spiritually. We can have spiritual generations too, right? Yes. Not just physical generations. I love that. Okay, we want to be a generational church. So how do we help the next generation know God? Number one, well, we got to know God ourselves, <laughs> Right? Like, if we don't know God, how are we gonna help other people know God? It's not possible. It's that whole saying like, you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. Have you heard that before? Because this whole like, you know, do as I say, but not as I do, it just doesn't work when it comes to discipleship and passing on spirituality to the next generation. This doesn't work. So we have to know him. Do you know God? Are you getting to know him better and better? Do you have a passion and a hunger to know him? That's my prayer for us, that you and I just would know God. Like Our prayer is not just God move in mighty ways, but really, because we're not after the blessings of God, we're after him. We want him. And in him is all we need. I just pray that we would know God and have the passion like Paul. Paul wrote these words. He says, I want to know Christ. And experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, share it in his death. Come on, do you want to know him that much? This is what Paul said to his friends at the church in Philippi. I want to know Christ. And then he prayed this. He wrote this down in his letter to the church in Ephesus. He said, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation that, so that you may know him better. I love that prayer. I think we should receive that prayer for ourselves today, okay? The spirit of wisdom and spirit of revelation. Jesus, would you pour that out on us again today so that we can know him better? That's why. Not so we can be super smart and say, look at me, but so we can know him better. God wants to give you supernatural revelation, spiritual revelation. or Sorry, spiritual wisdom. Wisdom that goes beyond your years of experience and education. He wants to impart to you spiritual wisdom. And then spiritual revelation. Like when you read his word, you got insight. He gives you insight. He speaks to you directly through this. Like this book, you know, when you read this book and the spirit of God is not alive and at work in you, it's just a boring book of stories, honestly. Like I get when people like, I don't believe in God, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this. They're like, oh, okay. But, but when the spirit of God begins to move in someone, begins to speak through these pages to somebody, oh, then all of a sudden you realize, like this book is alive. Whoa. I have never experienced anything like this in any other book. This book is living and active, which is a promise from God's word. And it's because the spirit of God will illuminate and speak things to you as he gives you a spirit of revelation. I pray that you have a spirit of revelation, not such that you understand things better, but so you know him better. So that you and I know him better. This is, really the the priority of our life, guys. Knowing God is the priority of your life. This is the number one priority of your entire life, to know him intimately and have a relationship with him. Do you know him? Man, it takes time. Just takes time. Just days and months and years of just growing and spending time with him and seeking him. Just like any relationship, right? Right? This week, Amy, she looked at me, and she asked me a question. She said, when's the last time we went on a date? And I'm like, I'm going back. I'm like, oh, let's say, it's probably like, oh, I don't know, three three weeks ago. And then then my man brain turned off, and I realized that's not what she's asking. Translation. I gotta translate that. We're going on a date soon, right? That's what she really was asking, Right? (laughs) So I switched gears. I'm like, oh, shoot. Yeah, that's, you're right. Um, and so we were able to get a lunch together this week. It was great. We got to have lunch and just sit down. And you know, after 20 years of being with her, 20 plus years, really, I just love spending time with her. I love being with her. And the more I get to know her, the more I, I love her. It's just, that's, that's what happens in a relationship, right? You just The more you spend time with them, the more you get to know them. But can I just say this, that she's not the greatest relationship in my life. Jesus is. Jesus is the greatest relationship in my life. Amen. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus is the most important person in my life. Like, I, I wouldn't be who I am without Jesus. And I waited a lot of years to get married, especially for my generation. And people are like, man, why'd you take so long? Why'd you you, you you wait, all that? And and honestly, I wouldn't trade my relationship with Jesus for any other relationship on this earth. That's how great it is, guys. And Amy added to to the blessings of my life and added, I mean, she's a gift from God. But can I just say I was already satisfied and happy and full of joy and purpose because of who Jesus was in me? And I wouldn't trade my relation with Jesus for anyone or anything. And all I want to do is get to know him better. That's the amazing thing. After all these years of just spending time with the Lord and getting to know him, he gets better and better and better and and gooder and gooder (laughs) and gooder and greater. I just just love him more the closer I get to him. And do you know him? I'm concerned that we have way too many Christians that know about him. But they don't know him. They, they serve him, but they don't really know the God that they serve. They're doing lots of activity for God, but they're not really living life with God. And they don't really know God. I just pray that we would know God. Let's not get just caught up in Christian activity and doing things for God. Let's, let's just be people who know him and do life, live life with him. That's what God wants. That's why he gave you his spirit. So he's like, I'm going to do this with you. That's why the Spirit of God lives inside of you. Do you know Him? you really know Him? I already said this, but let me say it again. Knowing God is the priority of your life. In fact, let me say three things here. It's the priority of your life. It is the purpose of your life. You were born. You were created to have a relationship with God and to know Him. Number three, it is the greatest joy of your life. That's what knowing God is. So I just want to encourage you and I just keep growing in knowing Him. It takes time, friends. Takes time. That's why I love that question we have in the lobby out there on that sign. It says, uh, How is Jesus the center of your life? It's a good question for us to reflect on. How is He the center of my life? And the, the goal here again isn't that like, you have to be like reading your Bible and praying and sharing Jesus and sharing the gospel every second of every single day of your life. It's really like, as I live my life, I have moments of that because I need to do that. But as I live my life, I just pray that Jesus would be front and center of everything that I do. I'm doing it with him. Everything that I do honors him. And he's just empowering me. And I'm just doing this life with him. That's the goal. That's It's making Jesus the center of my life. And I pray that Jesus would be the center of our families. So how do we help the next generation know God? Well, we gotta know him ourselves, right? And then we gotta show God to them. Come on, we gotta show them who he is, how great he is. Let's go to Deuteronomy. Let's look at this famous passage in Deuteronomy that uh, Pastor Amy already read to us earlier. So this is what was given as the Israelites came into the wilderness and you know God had set them free from slavery, crossed the Red Sea, all that. Now he had just given them the Ten Commandments, and so now he's about ready to give them instructions, like, don't forget what I've spoken to you, don't forget what I've done, speak and talk about all these things, so that's what this is right here, it's, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. Maybe you've heard that before. Jesus repeated that when he was asked what's the greatest commandment. He repeated those words and he said also love people because that's how you're gonna show that you actually do love God is by how you treat and love people. Because like if you say you love God, but you're a jerk, then do you really love God? Probably like you need to grow in your love for, for the Lord there. So this is called, this is very important for the Jewish people. This is called the Shema, the Shema which means listen. That's what it starts with there. It says listen, right? You see, that was the first word in the New Living Translation. Maybe your translation says, hear, O Israel. New Living says listen. That's what that word means, shema. But it means way more than listen. It means way more than just like, listen to the words that go into your ears so that your brain can comprehend them. That's not what this is saying. The word shema literally means this, to hear, to hear to listen, to give attention to, to understand, to submit to, and to obey. It encompasses all of those things. To understand it, submit to it, and to walk in obedience to it. Do you know there's only one word for obey in Hebrew? So as you read through all the Old Testament, read through that, the only word for obey is shema. Sometimes it's translated listen or hear, Or obey, but it encompasses all of those meanings. It's the only word for obey, it's Shema. So God wants them not just to listen and respond, but to obey. So He wants them to love God. And so then He goes on to describe this is how you can love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and strength. Reading on the next few verses, it says, And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again again and again and again and again and again and again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you are on the road, when you are going to bed, when you are getting up. Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your foreheads as reminders. (laughs) Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You kind of get the impression that God wants you to put him front and center in everything in your life, right? Like make him a part of every aspect of your life. As you go to bed and as you get up and everything in between, going down the road, you're eating, you're hanging out, put on your doors. As you walk out the doors, you see there, okay, everywhere. That you and I are to repeat over and over and over again who we're called to be and who God is and all the great and mighty things that he has done. Repeat them. Talk about them. Well, make that a part of the conversation in your family, in your home. Just talk about the Lord with your family, with your roommates, with your roommates. If you live alone, get some neighbors together. Come on, let's come into my house. I want to talk about the Lord with you in my house. Whatever you need to do, just make it a normal part of your everyday living. I think it's important that our kids and these younger generations hear the stories of how great God is. I think it's important that they hear the stories of what he's done in our life. Show the stories of our life. I'll never forget when my grandpa Renta passed away and he had come to Jesus later in life. He is in his 30s. And so he really is my spiritual heritage. And then he had passed away and, and one of the uncles found a journal of his and he had written this story in his journal of how he had done this hike up in the Cascade Mountains. He had heard about this, this mountain lake that had some fish in it. He wanted to hike up and fish in it. And so he found it, went and did it and he journaled about it. And what he did is he wrote this whole story about how his hike up to this lake Correlated with the Christian walk. And he had all these cool illustrations. He's like, I was grabbing onto some plants going up a steep hill and they were, and they broke and I fell down. And it's like sometimes in life we grab onto things that we shouldn't be grabbing onto. And he had all these cool, like, spiritual illustrations, analogies through this whole thing. And and we read that at his memorial because this was a really cool, like, sermonette is really what it was. And my dad said several times, you know, I'd love to do that hike someday. It'd be fun to go find that hike that grandpa did and did. it." so a few years ago, I said, hey, dad, let's do it. You, me, and Jude, my son, let's go. And so we researched it, found it, and we, we got up to the trailhead, and I brought out that sheet, and I read it. We read it again, and Jude had never heard it before. But I said, Jude, this is your spiritual heritage. Your grandpa, he loved the Lord. And he loved hiking and fishing too. And this is what he wrote based upon this hike. And so we had this like spiritual moment as we read this story again. And then we put our hiking shoes on and we went out and we hiked and we almost didn't find the lake. We got lost. We were going, it was going on and on and on and on and on. And my like, grandpa, you were right. This is difficult. <laughs> and finally we came over Ridge and there it was. We're like, hallelujah, because we were about ready to give up. And we threw our fishing poles in there in remembrance of grandpa and didn't catch anything like he did. But it was a spiritual moment for our family, with my dad and me and my son, just sharing the stories of how good God is Amen. and enjoying life. Come on, share those stories with your, with your kids, with your family. So good. Come on, share the stories. Like some of you might think, I don't have many stories. But can I say, if you're a part of the family of God, these stories are your stories. You've inherited all the great stories found in this book right here. Well, research stories like the Hebrides revival and share those stories. There's so many great things God has done, and he wants to do them in your life and in your family. Come on, you want to see a Jesus movement in your family? That's our prayer. That's our prayer. So we got to disciple our kids, guys. You know, our kids are being discipled. Do You know that? The next generation is discipling our kids. You want to know who I think is doing the best job at discipling our kids? It's this company called Disney. Have you heard of them? (laughs) They're really good at discipling people. Like, I've never had my kids walk up to me and say, hey, Dad, I want to go to Jerusalem, and I want to walk the streets where Jesus walked and go see where he died, and I want to go to Mount Carmel where Elijah called down fire from heaven. But you know what my kids have asked me repeatedly year after year after year? When are we going to Disneyland? (laughs) And I kind of say it jokingly, partly because I'm not a Disney hater, friends. I love Disneyland, okay? It's fun. I like going there. That's great. But it just causes you to think like, my kids don't find their heroes in life from this book. Someone keep that kid quiet back there, please. Who are the heroes for this generation that we're discipling? Is it princesses and wizards and Mickey and Minnie or is it people like Gideon, mighty warriors, people like David who are warriors and worshipers? Well, we gotta train them up in just the stories of God. All right, so I'm taking a long time on my stories here. Here's the question. What if I normalized a passionate pursuit of Jesus? But what if I did that in my home? What if it was normal? What if our family decided to have a, a Bible study instead of a movie night? Would that be weird? What if our family decided to have a prayer meeting instead of sitting in all of our different rooms all alone staring at screens? Would that be weird? Or would that be God maybe moving in our family? What if we normalized a passionate pursuit of Jesus? In our home. Come on, do you want a Jesus movement in our home? You gotta know God for yourself. If we're gonna pass it on to the next generation, you gotta know God for yourself. You gotta you've got to show God to them. And then the last thing, I won't take long on this. You and I must grow in the grace of God. Know God, show God, and grow in the grace of God. Peter said this at the end of his second letter. He wrote, rather, you must grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All glory to him, both now and forever. Amen. So grow in the grace of God. Keep growing. And you and I can only grow because of his grace and in his grace and through his grace, right? But that's you and I growing in our relationship with him, growing in maturity. You realize that our maturities, our immaturities are impacting the people around us? You realize that? We've got to grow in the grace of God. Grow in maturity. This requires us to grow in self-awareness and just understanding who we are, who we really are, what we need to do in order to grow. And let me encourage you with this. Make sure that you work through your foo factor. You and I must work through the foo factor, which is the family of origin. That's what the foo is. Family of origin. Sociologists and psychologists continue to affirm over and over and over again that our family of origin tremendously impacts our life, even today. You you might be in 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Your foo still impacts you. (laughs) So, we got to come face to face. Hey, some of us have inherited some, we've all inherited good things from our family of origin. But we've also inherited some things that we got to break over our life so that we don't pass them down to the next generation. So, part of us helping the next generation know God is we got to keep growing and we got to break some of these things over our life. You got to let God heal and transform you from the inside out. Hey, here's what happens what what you don't allow God to transform will get transferred to the next generation. What isn't transformed will get transferred. You and I have to be honest with the issues, the junk, the baggage that's going on in our life. Take ownership for it, deal with it, and allow God to break that, to heal us, to transform us from the inside out so that we don't pass it on to the next generation of our kids or whoever we're discipling, whoever we're raising up. We've got to deal with this. And no matter what you've gone through, we've got good news. Jesus can set you free. He's bigger. He's greater. Jesus can set you free from the patterns and the pain of your past. He can set you free from all those patterns and the pain. And so that pain, like I just said, that pain that isn't transformed does get transferred, but God can bring healing to it and transform that pain and make it a part of your story. Make it a part of how you can share this. You want to know how good God is? He set me free from this. I used to be stuck. I used to do this, and now this is what God has done in my life. That's part of the story that you can pass on down. Other people need to hear that. They need to hear your transformation story. Jesus can set you free from the patterns and the pain of your past. Your future and the future of all those that you're gonna raise up depend upon you and I growing in the grace of God. Would you stand to your feet?